Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Today, like I said, we're wrapping up our series on prayer. We've done three weeks on this, so today will be our third week. And uh, what we've done is, is our first week, we decided, hey, let's lay a groundwork. Let's lay some foundational ideas for what prayer is. And ultimately, we decided that prayer is simply communicating with God. And it's communicating or talking to God about what matters most to you continually. And then as you do that, to, be, uh, to learn to not only speak to him, but learn to listen to him. We listen to him in silence as we look and listen for him to speak to our heart. We listen to him through his word. We listen to him through creation. We listen to him through other believers. We can hear God in lots of different ways. And so that's where we were our first week. And then the second week, we talked about this all-important question because it, man, it happens without a shadow of a doubt, like almost every single week. Somebody asked me, why didn't God answer my prayer? Whether you've been a Christ follower or you're not a Christ follower, you still ask the question, if God's so good, how come he didn't answer my prayer? I mean, what I prayed for wasn't a bad thing. Well, we decided that there there are some things that matter to God when we pray. There are certain things that hinder our prayers, that hinder God's blessing in our life. And so we looked at those. We said, hey, you know, what matters when we pray? Well, our relationships matter. The way that we live our life matters. Our motives matter. You know, are we asking for something selfishly just for us or are we... Are our motives and is our heart right? Are we asking something that, that we have faith for? Are we asking something that's in line with God's will for our lives? And then we decided the ultimate thing that matters when we pray is having an honest and open relationship with God through Jesus. That's the most important thing. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of wrap up with this. We're going to look at how Jesus prayed because how Jesus prayed was very different than how you and I pray. We tend to pray and talk to God about things that are important to us. We tend to speak to him about what we want, you know, that parking spot on December 24th when we're out doing our Christmas shopping. Dear Lord, give me a spot right next to the door. We want that spot. Or dear Lord, let there be a short line when we go to the buffet or whatever it is. We pray for certain things, things, things that we want when we talk to God, but Jesus prayed in a very, very different way. And so we're going to look at that today through through what we call the Lord's Prayer. It was, a, it was a pattern of prayer. It was a way that Jesus taught us to pray. Now, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I'm a bit of a nerd. I know, right? <laughs> Shocker. So you guys are, find that hard to believe. I, I'm a bit of a nerd. I like sci-fi. I like fantasy. I like, you know, I, I, like, I like Lord of the Rings. And, you know, I like, I like all that kind of stuff, right? I enjoy a good, a good fantasy book and, and uh, and one of the things that makes me, or made me a nerd when I was a younger guy was, was and probably still that I'm an adult still doing it, is that I like magic. And I don't mean Magic the Gathering. Y'all are the real nerds, you know what I'm saying? I love you, but I mean like magic tricks, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I've, since I was 16, I've learned the craft of sleight of hand and illusions and things like that. And so uh, it, it, I, I've, I've, I've worked really, really hard at it, and, um, and, and I've, I've become a performer of sorts, and so for the last 20 years, I've done that, you know, and, and every time I perform, without fail, there is a question that arises when I perform, from adults, 
to kids and all the in-betweens, it doesn't matter. They always ask me one question after they've seen one of the miracles that I do. Do you know what it is? How'd you do that? Yeah, that's what everybody wants to know, right? Now, how'd you do that is a, is a, it means a lot of different things to a lot of people. Some people just want to understand the mechanics of it. How'd you do that? Like, the other people want to understand how they were fooled. Like, how was I fooled, so easily fooled? How did you do that? You know, that was, that was interesting. Or, or they want to know, they want to know for different reasons, right? Because they, they perceive that you knowing something they don't makes you powerful, and they want to know the same knowledge, right? They want to know for different reasons. For, well, you know, you ever, you ever see somebody watch like a magic show with somebody, and they sit there, and they're just like a fun ruiner, you know what I mean? All the fun sucked right out of it because they're sitting next to you going, I know how you did that. I know how you did that. The whole time, they're just ruining the whole thing, right? Yeah, it's me. It's usually me. <laughs> I know how you did that. <clears throat> My wife's sitting over here just going, you, it's you. You're the one who ruins it, fun sucker. <clears throat> anyway, um, but people like to know for the sake of knowledge, and then other people want to know because they want to perform. And so there are those people that I ask, well, why do you want to know? Well, I, I want to be able to do what you do. I admire you so. You're so handsome. <laughs> oh, please, stop. Okay. So if I decide to, as we call it in the biz, tip my mitt or show my cards, and I teach you, one of the very first things I'll tell you before I even show you is like, look, I'm going to show this to you, but I don't want you to, to go and show somebody right away. You need to practice. You need to spend some time investing in it. You can't just know how it's done Play with it a couple times and go, I got it, and run out and show somebody. But it never seems to fail. It never seems to fail. Every time I show somebody, within five minutes, they find the next available victim and try to ply their brand new craft on them, and it never works. It never works. They always wind up embarrassing themselves and exposing the secret to somebody else because they, because they didn't practice. They didn't take the time to do what... I told them to do. And the difference between me and them is not knowledge anymore. Because now they have the knowledge that I have, right? The difference between them and me is what I did privately that shows itself publicly. It's the time. See, I'm going to show you something. This, this is uh, just a, a, a quick vanish of a playing card, see? Right? Woo! Yay. Oh, you guys have seen this trick before? That's fine. Look, yeah, it's really neat, right? And this right here, what you're looking at, this is hours and hours and hours of my life spent learning how to make this thing vanish. This is, this is a lot of time invested in front of a mirror. What were you doing on your Friday nights when you were 18 years old? I was looking at myself in a mirror, doing magic tricks, not getting ready for a date. Hmm. <laughs> But I spent so much time. Not only did I do that, I got mentors. Mentors who would sit down with me and teach me. Guys that had been in the business for years that were performing and entertaining people that understood how to actually do that. How to entertain somebody with that stupid little card vanish. Or whatever it is that I decided to do. It went beyond just knowing the mechanics of it. It went beyond the knowledge of it. There was, there was time and an investment in my private life that changed who I was publicly. Ask anybody that you admire. There's something about them that you admire, whether, whether it's because they're handsome magicians or whether it's because they are, you know, a, a well-known and, and accomplished athlete or a musician like Tim. This, this, uh, we have an incredible musicians up here. Let me just say this. 
I love this guy's got like really, really long hair and, and standing next to him just make me feel like I was on a rock stage. You know what I'm saying? I was like, yes, I finally made it. But ask any, ask any, music, any of these, these talented musicians what it takes. And it's not just simple knowledge. It's practice. It's rehearsal. It's learning timing. There's so much to it. There's so much thought that goes into it. Find somebody that's an excellent accountant or somebody that has excelled in a business area that you want to grow in. It took time. It took study. It took an investment. It's what they did privately that makes them great publicly. It's not the spotlight that made them great. It was what they did out of the spotlight that the moment the spotlight hit them, they were great. Does that make sense? So Jesus, Jesus was an, an impressive guy. Like, could you imagine, if you've read your Bible, spend any time reading this, I think we kind of become numb to the fact that the Savior of the universe was walking this earth, right? We kind of forget that Jesus was here in the flesh, that he was just like me, probably slimmer, <laughs> but Jewish all the same, walking this earth, and that he did real miracles. He impacted real people's lives. This guy healed blinded eyes. This guy fed 5,000 men, and likely that day, about 15,000 people if you count women and children, because it says 5,000 men were fed that day. With five loaves and two fish. That's what he did it with. That's a miracle. Jesus is an impressive guy. Could you imagine being around the guy who took water and turned it into wine? Think about that. If you were there, what is the one question you would utter the moment that water turned into wine? How'd you do that? There was something impressive about Jesus. And his followers, his disciples, if I was there, I'd have been asking the question, how'd you do that? Because the other day, Jesus, I met a blind dude, and I spit in the ground, and I made mud, and I rubbed it on his eyes, and he wasn't very happy with me, because that dude was still blind. I did everything like you did. I talked how you did. I threw my sash over my shoulder, and I said the words. And that guy didn't get up off, his, off, the, off the ground. He's still lame. In fact, I think you need to go talk to him, because he's pretty upset with the church right now, Jesus. What, what happened? I mean, can you not imagine? Like, really, seriously, put, your in your, put yourself in their shoes. They, they would have wanted to know, how did you do that? And so what we, when we go to the scriptures, we actually see that they get their chance. Jesus says, all right, you've been hanging out with me enough. I'm going to send you out. So this is in Luke 9. He says, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to cast out devils. You're going to heal people. You're going to do miracles, and then you're going to preach the gospel and tell them that the kingdom of God is near. All right, prays for him, sends them out. And they go out and they have some success. But by the end of chapter 9, we find that their, their success begins to crumble. And the reason it begins to crumble is because Jesus spent time in his private time doing something way different than what they did. He comes down off of the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And he's met by a very upset father. He says, look at Jesus. He said, my boy, he's sick. He throws himself in the fire. He's got some issues. In fact, I think he's possessed. All right, I've said that about my kids a time or two. I'm pretty sure he's possessed right now. We're just going to heal him in Jesus' name. Bop him on the head. He said, my kid's in trouble. 
He said, can you do something about him? He said, oh, and by the way, I done took him to your disciples and they couldn't help me. And Jesus, I imagine being there, throwing like this, this darting look over to his disciples. You perverse generation, how long do I have to be with you? They didn't bring the kid to Jesus. His disciples didn't help and didn't bother to say, let me go get the master. No, they just said, sorry, got nothing. Sorry, it didn't work. So Jesus heals the boy. And then over the next two chapters, we see is Jesus steals away a couple times in prayer that they talk about. We know that he prayed often. But he would steal away in prayer. And I think that somewhere along the way, in the midst of that failure, as they faced the failure of healing the young boy, that they realized what many people realize. That dude's doing something different than I'm doing. And I need to find out. And so by chapter 11, we see this happened. This little exchange happens from the disciples. It says Luke 11, 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus had a routine. He was going to take himself away from everybody and he was going to pray. And he says, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. It is likely they'd considered everything else about him. What else is different? What is he doing that I'm not doing? You know what? I don't have any idea what he's doing when he goes away to pray. Maybe we need to ask. And so in Luke 11, Jesus goes on to teach them, but he teaches them, and, and, and what's recorded there is what's known as the Lord's Prayer. But there's another place in the Gospels where the Lord's Prayer is recorded, and that's in Matthew, and it's Matthew 6, 9 through 13. So here is what Jesus said. This is the same exact exchange as recorded by Matthew. And he says, this then is how you should pray in response to that request, how to teach us to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, how many of y'all have heard that prayer before? Yeah. Some of you have probably even prayed that prayer before. But I want you to understand that Jesus didn't say, in response to teach us how to pray, he didn't say, okay, these are the words you need to say. There's no magic incantation here. The very specific and clear words that Jesus did say is, this is how you ought to pray. How? In other words, this is a pattern. These are the things you ought to address when you pray. And that these things will be, that they will explode into their own time in your prayer as you pray for them. That these words in and of themselves are not what hold the power. It's the pattern of prayer. And so Jesus lays this out for him. He lays it out for him because when you look at this verse, when you look at what Jesus is praying about, he doesn't pray like you and I do. We tend to just make everything about us, and Jesus didn't even do that. He had five priorities that he identified when he was praying. Five. And these priorities, if you look at them, and I'll show them to you here in a second, were God's priorities, not his own. So if you're taking notes today, let's take a look at the priorities that Jesus laid out, the five things that you and I should seek in prayer as defined by the Lord's Prayer. The very first thing that we need to seek is to seek God's presence with a worshipful heart. 
Look at what Jesus said in the first part of that prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, the very first part of that, our Father, identifies a relationship. Now, many of you would consider your relationship with your Father and say that that's not a very loving relationship. Some of you say that. You come from some brokenness and say, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call that a good relationship or a good thing in my mind, but, but God is a good Father. He's not like your earthly father. He loves you and cares about you. And so to even speak to God in this way speaks of a relationship, an intimate relationship that you would have with him. And then he says, hallowed be your name. This word hallowed means, it means holy. Holy is your name. And I'll tell you what that means in just a second. But what Jesus is essentially doing is saying, hey guys, when you pray, when you start praying, he said, it's really important that you get a picture of who God is. Why is this important? Well, because he's the invisible God. He's not the God that we can see. And because of that, I think we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to forget that when we speak to our Heavenly Father, who he really is, how big and how great and how powerful he really is, we lose sight of that. And Jesus is saying, take a moment. When you pray, start there. Reframe your image of who God is right now by acknowledging who he is in your life. Is he your redeemer? You come from a life of a mess where God has taken it and redeemed it, and now he's taken your mess and made it your message? Then, then praise him for that. Worship him for that. Whether in word or in song, however, God, you're my redeemer. He's your savior. He saved you. Save you from what? Eternal death and separation from him by sending Jesus. God, you're my savior. Thank you. God, you're my provider. You provide for me on a regular basis. Thank you for that. It's developing an attitude of gratitude towards God and who he is in your life. So he's saying, hey, guys, as you start praying, get a frame of reference for just a moment. Now, if you don't know anything about God, let me give you three omnis that God is. He is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, that means he's all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. David said, in him we live and breathe and move and have our being. There's nowhere we can go that God is not. There's nothing that we know that God does not. There's plenty that we don't know that he does. Imagine the most powerful being in this world. Imagine the most powerful organization in this world. Imagine the most powerful animal in this world. Imagine, the, if you imagine the cosmos being the most powerful thing or Mother Nature being the most powerful thing, you need to know that God is more powerful than it. He is all-powerful. So as we approach him, we can approach him this way by reminding ourselves by praising him for that. God, you're the only one that's all-powerful. You're the only one that knows everything. I praise you because you're worthy of my praise. I praise you because you love me unconditionally. We identify who he is and gain perspective through worship. That's why we do it at the beginning of service. You know that, right? We need to shed off the cares and the worries of our week. Why? Because when you gain perspective of who God is, when you see how big he is, you start to realize that, you know what, God is actually bigger than my worries in my current situation. God is bigger than that illness. God is bigger than cancer. God is bigger than a doctor's report. 
God is bigger than my marital issues. God is bigger than the boss who's given me trouble on the job. God is bigger than a bully. God is bigger than a grade that you got. God is bigger than a class you are taking. God is bigger than your financial situation. God is bigger than those things. And so as you worship him, you gain perspective. In the Bible, men who have seen God in visions, heard rumblings and lightning flash. And it was terrifying to them because God was so pure and so holy that they hit the ground. They could not stand in his presence. And they said, I am undone. I am a sinful man. The angels who stand in God's presence, they say, holy. This is what the Bible says. Now, I think we have a tendency. When we see that, we turn it into a good little Christian thing. And we think the angels are sitting up there going, holy, 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 yay, holy is the Lord. Come on, you guys don't know this song? It's fine, that's right. We think this is the angels. But really, my buddy Daniel and I were talking, he said, Aaron, I don't really think the angels are sitting up there singing a nice little song to God. He says, I think they're standing up there going, holy, holy, because you can't cuss in heaven, so they can never finish that, you know what I'm saying? And those of you that were just sleeping woke up going, holy, oh, there's echo now. (laughs) Man, that was amazing. The angels, they see God in heaven. They can't even describe him. They can say nothing but holy. This is who our God is. God is exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. That's what he's able to do. This is our God. So in worship, we regain that perspective. This is why it's at the beginning. Because as we gain perspective of who God is, our faith grows. Our faith grows for the rest of our day, for our prayer. And it's, it's important that we do that. So we must be intentional in our pursuit of seeking him daily, remembering how big he is through seeking his presence with a worshipful heart. The second thing we need to seek is God's priorities over your own. We don't like this. We need to seek God's priorities over your own. We're selfish people. Come on, let's be honest. Don't be offended by that. I'm selfish, you're selfish, pot, kettle, hi, nice to meet you, right? We pray about what we like. We pray about what's important to us. But Jesus took time to align himself and first pray about God's priorities by saying this. In the verse, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is an identifying, hey God, you've got a kingdom and there's a way that you want it run. So when we pray for God's kingdom to be done, when you see that in a verse, your kingdom come, he's inviting and asking, hey God, let your ways be my ways. Let that attitude I need to have towards my spouse let it be the one that you would have me have, right? Let, that, let that, that attitude I should have for that person who cut me off in traffic be the right one. Help me with that. Let your kingdom come. Let your ways of doing things be transferred to me. Help me do that. And then he says, let your will be done. And so what is God's will? Well, we can look through the scripture and find that. I can tell you a couple of things that God wants. God wants you and I to pray for our leadership so that there's peace in this earth. It means whether you like them or not, whether you voted for them or not, pray for them. Pray guidance. Pray wisdom. I would tell you that's probably wherever you're at, and I don't want to get into it, and I ain't telling you where I'm at, it don't matter. 
wherever you're at on our president-elect, you ought to be praying for the man so that he can help bring us into unity and he has wisdom and guidance so that our country doesn't fall apart, so that we have peace. Y'all don't understand what causing more division does. There is a way to get that done, and I'm not saying not to have a voice be heard, but dear Lord, let us do it with wisdom. We've got to be praying for our leadership. These are things that God wants for us. God, let your way be established in me. And then let your will be done here on this earth. We know that he, wants the, he cares for the lost, those that are far from him. So we pray for the lost. These are very, very simple things to find throughout Scripture. So we pray these things. Why do this? Why align ourselves with God's priorities first? Well, let me tell you something. In my house, it's really simple. If you want my blessing in your life, if you want all, all of the, uh, the privileges that I have for you, then you'll get in line with my priorities for you. At my house, there are, is a way that we live. There is a thing that you do. There's a way that we talk to each other. There's a way that we love one another. There's a way we prefer one another, serve one another. There is a way that we are. And if you get in line with my priorities for you as my child, then you will have everything else that you want. You can ask me for anything you want. The answer is yes. Come on, somebody. You understand in this? That if we get in line with God's priorities for our lives, how he would have us live out our lives, how he would have us live out our relationships, how he would have us live out our sexuality, our finances, every part of it, our thoughts, our marriages, our parenting, on the job, our careers, all of it. If, if we would get in line, all of God's blessings would be for us. We just, we just got to get in line. And so we pray. Now, don't get me wrong, because there's, there's a time coming here in this verse where you can pray about things that are important to you. But place God's priorities first when you pray. Pray, teach me, and I'll follow you. I'll follow you in all my ways. So we need to seek God's presence with a worshipful heart, and we need to seek his priorities over our own, and then we can seek God's provision for our daily needs. Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. When I was a kid, I went to Sunday school, right? How many of y'all went to Sunday school as a kid? All right, whether you, your parents drug you there, or your grandma took you there, or, you know, what doesn't matter how you got there. Sunday school was awesome. Like back in the day, it was so like technologically advanced. We had these flannel boards, you know, and... Uh, and these costumes and stuff, you know, little Jesus costumes and robes. Anyway, <clears throat> I was in Sunday school, and one of the things that they taught me was that God is my provider. And the way they did this was through a song called Jehovah Jireh. Now, some of you hear that and you're thinking, God bless you, you know, like I just sneezed or something. But Jehovah Jireh is, is it's Hebrew. Jehovah identifies God. It's one of his names because it describes something that he does. And Jireh means provider, the Lord our provider. And so there was this, this cool little song that I learned, and it's kind of got like a, a Hebrew, Middle Eastern kind of flavor, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Yeah, there's a few of you that know that song, right? Cool. First service, nobody knew. I was all alone. My mom was over there. You know, she was like, yeah, Jewish lady, you know, having a good time. Good to know my people are here today. It's good to know you. But they, but they drilled it into you young that Jehovah was your provider, now, it's one thing to know that information. It's a whole other thing to live that, right? Well, we go from saying God is my provider, but then we act like he's not. Like when we lose our job, we start stressing. 
Because God's suddenly not your provider anymore, your employer was. And you learned that about yourself. Oh, that's not comfortable. That is what it is. You discover that you know that, but you don't know that in your heart. God wants us to lean into him and trust him for everything, to lean into him as our provider, because God is the source of all of our provision. Consider this, what do you have without God? According to the Bible, you have no creativity, you have no understanding, you have no wisdom, you have no opportunity, you have no strength, you have no uh, giftings and no talents, because the Bible says all of these come from God. You have no ability to earn wealth. Again, the ability to earn wealth is given to us by God. Without him, we do not have these things. God is our provider, and he wants you to talk to him about what it is you need. So what is it you need? When I first left, left my job to become a church planner, that was in 2012, January 2012. My wife and I prayed about when I should leave my job because we thought I was going to be in ministry in 2012. We didn't plant here until uh, May 2013, just FYI. And we prayed about it, and both of us had peace, and I quit my job. And when I turned in my two-week notice, my boss said, hang out for six months with me. You can keep your job. I'll take away all your responsibilities. I just need you in the building while we train somebody else up. You can leave and do ministry as often as you need to. Just be with me. That's some favor. I don't know how many of y'all's bosses would do that for you, but mine did for me. All right, you can give me, keep my salary and my bonus. And all, yeah, absolutely, all that stuff. And then in the summer when I finally left, there was a little lapse in our finances that we needed to make up. We were short about $1,500. So we prayed again. Lord, you led us this way. You gave us peace. You blessed us in the leaving. And now here we are. I'm off, and I was going to stay off for the rest of the summer and care for our kids until they went back to school. While my wife worked 60 hours a week, being my sweet little sugar mama. She right over there, and she's so pretty. Yeah. All right, all right. And so she, she was working 60-plus hours a week, and, but there was a lapse. And so we went to God again. Lord, we're in need. We don't know what to do. I remember walking to the mailbox that day, and I, by the time I got into the house, I was already screaming and shouting and jumping around. I could not believe it. See, we had refinanced our house. And if you understand any of this, it's fine. But, or, or don't, that's fine. But there, there, there was an escrow account to pay our insurance and taxes, and they were supposed to have transferred it over. Well, they didn't. And the new loan included it, so it was, it was paid for already. So they didn't know what to do with that money. They couldn't transfer it over to the, new mortgage, or to, the, to the new lender, so they just cashed it out and sent me a check. We didn't know that was coming. No clue. And a $1,500 check shows up in my mailbox, and I come running into the house. I knew it. God called us to it. If it's his will, it's his bill. I was doing all these kind of things. Like, I was... I was, I was a hot mess. I think she had a friend there that day. I got very Pentecostal very quick. Some of you would say, well, that was just a series of events. That ain't no thing. And I'm like, no, that was no thing to you. But to me, that was everything. And God was my provider. God was my provider. A check shows up. I didn't even know it was coming. And then I needed a job by the end of the summer because it still wasn't in ministry. It's September. It's nine months later. So I said, Lord, I'd love to stay in Reynoldsburg. We went back to leaning to God again because I had nothing, right? I'd left my career. I need another job, Lord. I need a part-time. I want to be here in Reynoldsburg so that I can continue to know my city and meet people in town. 
And so I went and interviewed for a job that I should not have had with a technical co or technology company here in Reynoldsburg. I'm gonna tell you this, I interviewed in flip-flops and still got the job. I had favor, I'd had surgery on my toes, but I told him that was gonna happen, but still, I'm there in, you know, anyway, so. And I go in and they give me this test, right? I'm like, oh, this is gonna be horrible. And I take the test and I slide it back. I have no idea how well I've done. I got an 11 out of 16. And I'm like, well, it was nice to meet you guys. Thanks for having me. I, they're like, oh, no, you're hired. I'm hired? Yeah, 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 you're, you're, you're good. This is, this is better than most of the people that come in here that have certi certifications and degrees. We were just curious, how did you pass our test? And I said, I don't know. I just, you know, the things you ask me, I have experience with. See, over time, God had given me experience. Little problems popping up here and there on computers and technology that I had to learn to get by at my other jobs. And when I walk in, I have the favor that I need to get a job I don't deserve in the city where I need to be so that I can love them. See, peas don't mean much to people unless they're your peas, and them is my peas, right? This is, this, this is for me. God is my provider. He's my provider, and he wants you to know him in this way. So when things don't seem to make sense, and you walk into an interview with flip-flops and not knowing a thing about what they're going to talk to you about, God can bless you with a job. He wants to be your provider. So my question to you is, what do you need? Is it healing? Whether that's mental, emotional, physical, relational? Do you need opportunities? Do you need wisdom? Do you need guidance? Do you need relationships in your life? Do you need finances? Do you need gas? Do you need groceries? What do you need? Come to him because he is the provider. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will provide or will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Next thing you need is to seek God's pardon for your sins. Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So not only do you need to seek him for forgiveness, but you also need to be willing in this time to forgive others. That means asking God, if you're not aware of sin that you're committing, you need to know that you're a dirty dog just like I am. And there is probably sin in your life. So if you're not aware of the sin you are committing, if you are willing to, this is your moment to humble yourself in prayer and say, hey, Lord, would you examine me? Would you look at me and pull the sin out of my life? Because how many of y'all know that when you start doing things his way and stop doing them your ways, that it is infinitely better? Because maybe you're doing something you're not aware of that is leading to death in some part of your life, whether it's your finances, your relationships, your parenting, and you just don't know because you're either not aware or maybe not smart enough like me. I'm not smart enough to understand and see myself clearly. And so I regularly ask, God, examine me. Would you show me my sin? Because let me tell you something. Willful submission to correction in private is always better than public forced correction. Do y'all hear me? Because what's going to happen is if you leave that stuff intact, eventually those cracks in the armor are going to lead to a full-on breakout in your life, which will cause you loss and death of something. Relationships, you may lose a spouse, you may lose a friendship, you may lose your kids, you may lose a job, you may lose your house, you may lose your car. There may be loss. If you willfully humble yourself and say, hey, look at me, please, would you find the cracks in me? And would you help me? Would you forgive me and then help me forgive other people? Even if I'm not ready to, I can say, Lord, would you help me? 
Help me forgive other people. Some of you need to only pray this prayer once a week. Others of you need to pray it once a day. Others of you need to pray it like every hour, maybe every few minutes. If you've ever been caught in a cycle of addiction, you understand that. You'll be asking God for forgiveness for something you just asked him for forgiveness for an hour ago. Hey, God, it's me. Stupid. I messed up again. Please forgive me. Caught in a cycle of addiction. I've been there. Some of you understand that all too well. The beautiful thing is, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we'll just talk to him about it, because he already knows anyway. I don't know who you think you are. You ain't Houdini and you ain't hiding nothing from God. You know what I'm saying? Just talk to him. Share with him. Hey, I messed up again. I need your help. He'll, he's faithful. He'll forgive you. So what is it, lust? Is it adultery? Is it gossip? Is it addiction? Is it lying? Is it that you call everybody who cuts you off on the highway an idiot? That's me. I do that. Idiot. I do. And I go, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. They're not an idiot. They are your blessed child. Everybody, please stretch your hands this way. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name <laughs> that you forgive me and that you bless this jerk. I mean, person. Maybe they'll have a better day. Amen. Right? Come on. Y'all been there? Let's be real. You know what I'm saying? We need God's forgiveness. We need to be clean and free from that stuff. It's better for you if you do. We need to seek God's presence with a worshipful heart. Seek his priorities over ours. Seek God's provision for our daily needs and seek God's pardon for our sins. And the last thing, this is it, folks. According to the Lord's Prayer, the last thing we need to do is seek the, God's power to overcome temptation. Seek his power to overcome temptation. Jesus said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I like how the New Living Translation says it better. It says, and don't let us yield to temptation. Don't let us yield. Because you know we have this, this tendency to yield to it, right? The enemy makes whatever it is that you're being tempted by look amazing, right? When he puts it in a flour tortilla and you, you have a choice of white or brown rice, he puts chorizo on it and salsa and cheese. Hot and mild, please. And then he wraps it in such a beautiful silver lining and dangles it before you and says, come on. Come on. See, the devil's not tempting me with some kind of carrot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that ain't working. I'm not a rabbit. Whatever your burrito looks like, you understand what I'm saying. Whatever you are tempted by, the enemy's smart. He knows you. He knows what will draw you away from the presence of God. And so he will tempt you. Now, trust me, I believe that Chipotle burritos are in the presence of God daily. So I'm just, <laughs> just know that I'm not making that analogy at all. But just, just to clarify, in case you went there, but, but the enemy will draw you away. He'll use whatever means necessary to get you there because there is an enemy, if you didn't know that, and he hates you and wants to destroy you. He hates anything that is close to the heart of God, and guess what? That is you and me. That is this world. So he comes to tempt us with thoughts, influences, television shows that we look at, opportunities. Whatever it is, he's crafted it to make it as appealing as possible to you. 
He will touch your life, your stuff, your family, your health, your mind, your job. All to tempt you to turn your back on God. So that you will worship something other than him. Other than God. There's good news about temptation because some of you, some of you feel when temptation comes like, I couldn't help it. And Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, it's not my fault. It's the woman's fault. And she said, it's not my fault. There was a talking snake. He was really cute. (laughs) Whatever. We don't like to own up to the temptation that we gave in to, whatever it was. The good news is, is that we don't have to give in to temptation. That if we will ask for help in time of need, it will be found. I've quoted this verse, being somebody that comes from a life of addiction, I've quoted this verse more times than I can say. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That means that that thing that you're feeling, that temptation you're feeling right now is common. There's tons of people that are going through it, so quit thinking you're unique. You're not. There's tons of people that have felt it. In fact, Jesus was tempted at every point as a man, just like me and you. You're not alone in being tempted. There are people who succumb to it, but there are other people who are victorious over it. You need to know. There's no temptation that has seized you, but that which is common to man, and God is faithful. And I could just stop right there and have church. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, it's not going to be too much. Some of you say it's too much. No, according to the Bible, the way that you are being tempted is sufficient, but it's not too much. Otherwise, we could say it's, it's the thing that was tempting me's fault. It was too much for me to bear. He says, it's not going to be too much for you to bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I love it. I love it. You know why I like it? Here's why. So my wife and I just flew to Florida, and when we were on the plane, there was, there was a, a flight attendant who stood up front and said, and this is how you put your seatbelt on, and this is how you inflate, you know, your, your life jacket, and make sure you breathe the oxygen so you calm down. And she didn't say that, but, you know, that's what that does to you, right? That just makes you docile while you're on the plane. But she did do this. She said, there are six exits on this flight. There's two in the front, two in the back, and two over either of the wings. Please take a moment and identify the closest exit to you now. And while she waits, I look around. Because if this ship is going down, I want out. In fact, I want to sit in the exit row. Can you handle the door? Yes, I can, as quick as possible. I'm getting out. Yes. I want to know. And in your life, you will be tempted. And if you don't ask for help, if you don't ask for guidance, you may never be able to find where the exits are located in your situation. And when you are tempted, just stop for a moment. Ask God for help. And look around. Where's my exit here? Where's my exit? Because the thing about exits is this. It's very clear to me that an exit door on a plane is great, but it does you no benefit if you don't choose to open it and walk out. I'm going to do an entire series later on this year called A Way Out because I'm very, very passionate about this, coming from my background and 
This is very important to me. We need to ask God for help to get away from temptation, to succeed and not to succumb under temptation. It wasn't until I began asking God for help that I saw the exits, because I'm not smart enough. I'm just not. I'm a simple guy, so my church is called Simple Church. I need help. And if you're like me, you need help too. You need to ask God for help. And so we have to come in prayer to God to ask him to help, or with, help us with our temptation because there's power in overcoming temptation. There is encouragement. It gives us strength. So we need to seek God's presence with a worshipful heart. We need to seek his priorities over ours. We need to seek his provision for our daily needs and seek his pardon for our sins. And then we need to seek God's power to overcome temptation. Why? Well, because these are God's priorities for us. These are the ways that he blesses us. See, he wants you to know him, and then he wants you to find freedom. And you understand that when we begin behaving like he wants for us, or living our life the way that he's laid out for us, we find freedom. Because sin is, well, it's entangling. It's a mess. It breaks us. It breaks everyone around us. Make his priorities our priorities. This is what God has for you. This is his blessing for you. And when you do that, we have what, you become what we call around here the shiny. When you begin to live this blessed life, your life begins to shine in a way that people look at you and go, there's something different about you. No, you still go through junk just like I do, but the way you go through it is different. The way that you love your spouse is different. The way that you parent your children is different. The way they respect you and are obedient to you is different. What's different? This is the point. See, you understand that when we become the shiny, when people begin to see, that we get to say, well, God's made a difference in my life. And this accomplishes the last part of the Lord's Prayer that I didn't even read yet. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is the part. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever. The whole point of all of it for us is to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. To point other people to him because of his blessing in our lives. I'm telling you guys, when you make God's priorities your priorities in prayer, you will live a life that is forever changed. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you for the gift of prayer. Lord, the the honor that we have to come boldly before you and to talk to you. Though you are holy and pure and righteous and we are not. You have made us as such through your son, Jesus. You have made it so that we can approach you, so that we can speak to you, so that we can call you Father. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make your priorities our priorities in prayer. Father, may we discover the power of aligning our hearts with yours. May we discover the blessing of seeking your face and not just your hand. I pray that as we begin to pray your priorities that we are forever changed. 
And as we continue to pray, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, I want to tell you that the beginning of Jesus' prayer starts off with, Our Father. So you don't get to pray that way unless you know Jesus. Why? Well, you and I are sinners. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that our sin is horribly offensive to him. We can't even stand in his presence. In fact, it's described that a gap is between us and God. And in order for that gap to be closed, there must have been a payment made see, even though you and I could live our lives doing good things, we would still die in our sins, not having those sins forgiven. But there was one way, and God said, I know that way, and that's to send my son Jesus to this earth. He'll live a perfect and sinless life, and he'll be murdered by the people that are around him. But in his death, because he's perfect and sinless, he will pay the price for all of humanity, thereby forgiving our sins, and making all of us able to say, Father, this is God's gift to us through Jesus. For you to be able to pray, Father, you just need to accept the gift that Jesus, Jesus gave you in the sacrifice he made on this cross. The way you do that is through a conversation with God that we call prayer. It's what we're talking about here. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to help you because... I'm sure that you're going to say the same thing most people say. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to God. Well, I'll help you. I'll give you the words. And if you want to be restored to a relationship with God, to have that gap between you and him bridged, to be adopted into a spiritual family so that you can look at him and call him Father, then pray this prayer with me. And, and if, you're, if you're here today and you're going to pray this prayer, would you just let me know? Nobody's looking around. I don't want to embarrass you, but I would like to know that you're here. Would you just let me know? Hey, Aaron, I'm here. I'm going I'm to pray that prayer with you. Would you just shoot your hand up and say, that's me. I'm going to pray that now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. If you're watching by Periscope or listening on the podcast, I believe that if you'll join us right now, God will meet you where you're at. He's not limited by your current station in life, your choices in life. He's ready to meet you and change you forever. Pray this prayer. Jesus. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you came to this earth, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you paid the price for me that I could not pay myself. And when you rose from the dead, you put on the greatest demonstration of love for me. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I give you my life in exchange for the life you've offered me. Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. I need you, Jesus. Amen. You know, the Bible says that if you prayed that prayer today, that all of heaven is throwing a party. Seriously, swinging from the chandeliers. Angels over there got, got, the, got the lampshades on their head. They're having a good time up there because you decided to say yes to Jesus today. And church, let's celebrate with them now, can we? Come on, give God a round of applause. And thank him for what he's doing in our hearts and our lives. Thank you, Father.